Hey gang, this is my profcast called Leading the Way. It's for my students in Management 300. This episode specifically is going to address the burning questions that you had in our first GEMS, light bulbs, and burning uh, questions assignment. And I'll be tackling all of those for you in a series of categories based on the themes of the how the questions were asked. Um, so sit back, enjoy, listen to this, add this to your weekly playlist if you so choose and desire, and I'll be excited to tackle these fantastic questions for you. Okay, so this first round of questions are uh, centered around the topic of communication. First question is, how do you handle criticism? It talks about positive and negative feedback. My question would be related to how social responsibility is important at work especially conducting surveys with feedback. Let's say, uh, are most big companies open to feedback from consumers, employees, or is there a limit to it? Well, it depends on what is the nature of the feedback you're seeking. So in a socially responsible company, um, if the goal is to promote social responsibility or gauge what is the level of perception around social responsibility, so really defining what is the question we're trying to answer and how do we want to leverage the feedback? So if we understand the type of feedback that we want to get, perhaps it's around perception, then we can structure the questions to reflect that. And, um, and then it's a matter of results of if you're giving a survey, you're looking for themes in the data. You're looking for information to, um, to guide what are you going to do with the feedback? Now I want to go back to something here where it says, uh, Feedback may be positive or negative. It can also be neutral. And the interesting part of this is you get to assign that um, affect, that emotion, that perception of what you consider the feedback. So you get to choose, do I consider this positive feedback? Do I consider this negative feedback? Do I consider this neutral feedback? And like anything else, it's data, it's information. And you get to choose what do you want to do with that information? So what I would say in terms of limiting or um, getting it, it's, it's all a subjective matter of what are you after and what's the type of sample size or what's the amount of information that you need to help you um, decide what you want to do next. All right, next one. My burning question is this. What strategies and tactics should I use besides a compliment sandwich to communicate displeasure or criticism to someone, especially someone in a position of authority. Well, first, I think I, I'm not a big fan of the compliment sandwich. Um, I know it's something that we do a lot of training in, in the training and development world. Um, and what a compliment sandwich would be like, if you think of the bread as the compliment, it's like, give them a compliment at the beginning, give the tough stuff in the middle of the meat, and then wrap it up with a, um, a compliment. And I, I don't know if that's the best approach. I would rather encourage you to say, here's the why, you know, so start from a position of vulnerability of why we are having this, this conversation. If you recall in the podcast, it talks about the magic words of, of getting somebody to be open to the feedback on, you know, I care about you. I'm committed to your excellence. Um, I want to support you and I need to give you this feedback. So now you talk about displeasure or criticism. Now, criticism again, is that's going to be up to the other person to decide how they want to react and respond to that. Displeasure is more of a hedonistic thing, pain, pleasure. Um, and oftentimes we try to avoid the pain, go towards the pleasure. So, but what you're really telling them is that um, in the situation is that something that they're either doing or saying or a process or a system, whatever it is, is having an impact on you. And that impact on you can be, again, positive or negative. So you're saying this you know, starting the conversation, we're having this conversation because this is what is going on and how I'm reacting and responding to it. And then where can we go from here? Now, here's some magic words that I, um, I've picked up in a book this summer that I really like because it's inventive and it's collective. It says, how might we? So the last part of that is how might we go forward or how might we use this information to get to a better place? So I think maybe adjusting that out a little bit could be helpful, especially if it is in a, uh, a person in authority. And, um, and it, you know, and then it's going to come into a ton of other factors in terms of that person's development, leadership development, that person's abilities, 
that person's strengths, that person's emotional intelligence, that person's personality. So what we can control is how we approach that and we can try to frame it as best we can and then manage how those responses are. And as you're getting into some of the emotional intelligence work, that's going to, we're going to continue to work on ourselves so that we can help lead others along the process. All right. And the blink crucial conversations, they say, create safe conversations by ensuring that people feel like you respect them and their interests. This is followed by a few examples, but I think it's harder than it sounds. Have you used this and could share your experience? Yes. And yes. So yes, this is hard work. And I don't believe that you ever really get great at it. I think you can get as many reps as you can get in, but every conversation, every person, every relationship is different. So it's coming back to the principles and trying to figure out how you, how you approach this, um, you know, in that context, I can say that, um, the, the key here for me on a professional level is I, I often deal with this a lot with students, you know, and, um, I want my students in the conversation to know how much I do respect them and I care about them. And that the reason they're coming to me usually with something that's, you know, hard, difficult, a challenge, a setback is that I do have their interest in at heart and working towards that. So that collective vision that it's not me versus them, it's not adversarial, it's, it's working together, me listening, them understanding, uh, me understanding, and then us working together to um, go there. Because for them, the stakes are pretty high. And, and that's part of that. Now, in other relationships that I have, um, you know, like, like uh my my marriage and whatnot you know uh you know sometimes those people that you're closest is you can go into those uh heated conversations or people that you love or you know family members and whatnot those sometimes can be tougher because it's a different dynamic and you consistently try to work towards the better and i think it does it is helpful and more beneficial when both people are playing from the same playbook so another uh, suggestion that you can have is educating people sharing this content with them helping them, giving them the process. And again, it's a process. And um, not every rep is the same rep in terms of, and what I mean by that is like, you know, you might do it one time and it works really well. You might do another time and it doesn't work really well. It's because the conditions and the variables are always changing. It's dynamic, not static and not textbook. But if you, what, what we're finding is that if you were to do a thousand of these interactions using this method, most of them, more of them will come out in a, with a better interaction, but this is the hard work. And that's the key part of that is that this is the hard stuff. And this is why managers are the number one reason why people leave work, leave jobs. And it's also the, the, one of the things that we are seeing that employers want more of from their people is this ability to lead this ability to, um, lead people specifically. All right. So the next one here is the criticism, criticism culture at Bridgewater, this is Ray Dalio's company, is interesting and see, and it's from the Adam Grant podcast, is interesting and it seems to work for them. But isn't this a one-off? Doesn't it seem that a certain type of person would thrive in an environment with open, harsh criticisms, but that this would not be effective for everyone? Perhaps it's my individualization strength talking, but this seems unlikely to work at most places. So I wonder what other ways this could be implemented that would be more universal or better received by a variety of personality types. So one is bridge Bridgewater would be considered probably an outlier. Now, one of the reasons why they work, why it works for them is because they screen for this. They make this part of their culture. Um, so for them, the normal population may consider this harsh criticism but in reality, they're so committed to their goals and the ideas that they're okay going into knowing that this is the game. This is how we're going to operate. So it's the cultural element of it, of what type of culture, and that means the values and the behaviors and the beliefs that people know that are we're going to operate, what is set on the wall, and then what really happens in the organization. And when people are able to be focused on the results and the goals and the outcomes and are committed to that and are willing to be held accountable and they can engage in the healthy debate and the conflict because they have trust and vulnerability with each other, it does work. And you need all of those conditions for this to happen. So um, would, would it not be effective for everyone? 
No, it's not going to be effective for everyone, especially if you're not willing to engage in that type of culture. If that that format is not going to be conducive to you or you're not willing to participate in it, that means there's a level of, of non-commitment. And that's going to be a key element um, for that. Now, they've worked really hard over the years through Ray Dalio's leadership to make that part of the culture. And again, it's not for everybody, but the people that stay, stay for a long time and their results in, in a very um, you know, quantitative outcomes-driven industry are proven. So what could we do differently? Well, we can work towards um, understanding that people have personality types, which are relatively fixed. People have strengths and talents, which can be cultivated. And we can find awareness and put people in, in roles and, and help people leverage those. We also know that emotional intelligence is not fixed and that it's malleable and can be developed over time through self-awareness, self-management, um, um, social awareness, relationship management, and empathy. So, And those are all biological systems. So at that point, what we can do is we can figure out what is the science, you know, what are the, what's the psychology, what are the elements that create successful um, organizational cultures, and then build around that. And so I think it's identifying where, where that, uh, where those culture, you know, what culture is going to help you and those around you thrive. So part of that is choosing the right company to be part of building the right company culture and, and making that happen. All right. So the last question in this round for communication is, is it possible to improve an employee's work performance without brutally honest criticism? So I'm going to go to, um, Kim Scott's radical candor on this one. And I want to highlight something in the question that we, that, that was offered up with is brutally honest criticism. Who says that the criticism has to be brutal? That's the key element of that. So something around that, when we know that there's a negative element to it, we feel like it's going to cause that pain. But again, I'm going to come back to something I said a little bit earlier, which is if you have the ability to be honest and you have built trust and can be vulnerable with the person and do so with empathy and candor, usually that is more well-respected. And the criticism isn't to bring somebody down, it's to help them get better. Remember that feedback is, is shows up in three forms. And this is from the thanks for the feedback um, content. You've got affirmation, it's me affirming you, telling you that you're doing a great job. Um, it comes in the form of coaching, meaning that um, I'm going to provide you some sort of instruction on how to do things differently. And then it comes in the form of evaluation. I'm going to take a look at your results and tell you uh, how well or what, how well or how not well you did in that. So the key element of that is this uh, idea of getting to radical candor. And that candor is that honest part of it, that authentic part, but it has to be it has to have the element of empathy and in the best interest of the person and the organization and the team. Um, and to be able to do that, you're going to have to work towards building trust and vulnerability with the person that you want to deliver that to. And that takes time, that takes energy, and that takes effort. All right, so that's our first um, section here. And we'll be moving on to another category. All right. In this category, um, we're going to call this one teams, and we got a we've got some several we've got several questions here that we want to tackle. So the first burning question in our teams category is from uh, Dream Teams. How do you continue to build that dream team and keep in, uh, people engaged if there are constant changes all the time? This is a great question. And so the way that we start to do that is we understand what are the elements that make up a dream team. What, you know, and from five dysfunctions, we know that's the, you know, trust. We know that's the ability to, to engage in healthy, um, healthy debate. We know that's about commitment to the vision and the values and, and the just cause. Um, we know that it's about being able to hold each other individually and mutually accountable. And we know it's about attention to results. We also know that it involves having di cognitive diversity on the team um, through personality, through strengths, through perspective and through experience. So the conditions around us are always going to change. This is kind of what Simon Sinek is getting at when he's talking about the infinite game. 
it's not a finite game where there's a set of rules and it's four quarters and and we know at the end of the game there's going to be some objective winner or loser it's an infinite game so the if once we accept the reality that the conditions are going to continually change and evolve but we have enduring beliefs enduring values and we know that we're using um, well-vetted research and practices then we make those the framework for building our team and screening and, and choosing people to be on the team cultivating the team evolving the team developing the team and that is part of the work as well so the next question we have is what should you be incorporating into your team to assure that your goodness is not left on the table what does that goodness look like that's an interesting one um and I think probably the the Dare to Lead content from Brene Brown is probably one of the best elements to this. Um, and also referring back to what's the just cause? What's What are you trying to accomplish? What's the why? What's the bigger vision and the values? Um, and not being afraid to, as the team goes along, um, checking in on that. So I guess a great example recently for me is... Um, our team did a, a really big reset over the summer and, um, and I've been in this department for about 10 years and, uh, I've got, you know, a number of people that are fairly new to the team, um, within a couple years or even a couple months. And we've just added, you know, professor Gus as well. And we, um, spent some, a lot of time over the summer coming up with what's our, our goodness look like. And, um, for us, it's around three key areas. It's around service impact and connection. So how are we serving the, you, the students? How are we serving the community? How are we serving each other as teammates? You know, what does that impact look like? How are we impacting you all? How, and how are you all impacting the community? And how are we impacting the college and each other? Um, and then the connection element is, especially in this time of COVID, but just even, even without COVID, is how are we connecting with each other? How are we connecting with the, the world of work? How are we connecting with employers? How are we connecting with students? How are we connecting with each other? So that, you know, that is something that we're all deeply committed to and, and it is a goodness. And so, you know, when, when the tough stuff uh, starts and, and uh, whatnot, it's something we can come back to and ask ourselves those questions and help us get back on track if we fall off track. One, here's the next one. One burning question I have is from the Blinkist, Leaders Eat Last. And the quote um, from the Blinkist was, being a leader is like being a parent and the company is like a new family you join. Sometimes when working, it is hard to send the message that we are a family along with being professional because there are certain boundaries. What are some tips to spread the message we are family, but we also need to be professional? Because I feel like if you are a family, you will be able to work together more efficiently. So I think the first part of that is um, deciding what does family mean to everybody and coming up with a common language. Remember, the families that we grew up on, some of them weren't so great. And some of them and a lot of them had their own unique dynamics. Others were, you know, very different. And so, um, you know, I think the idea of family is what does it aspire to be? And so defining that term of what is family and what does that word mean to me and what does that word mean to us and what do we want that to look like in our organization? Again, it's coming back to culture. It's coming back to what are the values, behaviors, beliefs, practices that we do every single day and for what, what contribution and impact do we want to make in the world? So the other part of that, in addition to defining that, is... Um, establishing what are some of those boundaries and and um but professionalism also can entail a level of vulnerability and authenticity and so it's kind of defining what are those lines and what are those boundaries where we can still be authentic vulnerable build trust have respect um in a professional manner and and understand that you know, I think I think to be honest with you, I think a lot of this has is evolving right now in the workplace. Um, it used to be about compartmentalization, meaning that you would com uh, you would put the parts of yourself, and you would you know what was going on at home, you would leave it at home. What coming at work, you'd come at work. And I think we're starting to shift to a more humanistic approach where we're seeing that it's the whole person, and when we can 
focused on developing the whole person and building that trust and vulnerability with each other and, and help and support each other, we get better results. So I think organizations are lagging a little bit in that, but I think we're moving towards it. Boundaries are still important. Remember, Brene will even talk about this is like vulnerability doesn't mean you just show up and just, you know, tell all your problems and, and, and just blah on everybody. It's a, uh, it's a process of what are we going to share? Why is it important to share? How is, how is the impact there and, and whatnot? So I think that's where we're at with that one. All right. So though that was, um, our section on teams and, uh, then we'll move into the next section. All right, in this next section, we are going to tackle the area of strengths. So my burning question has to do more with uh, about our signature strengths that we learned about and we'll have more information and work to help us build. Um, I think that's supposed to be, we learned about and will we uh, have more information and work to help us build on the different strengths? Absolutely, that's your next assignment is we're gonna be doing some deep dive into that. So please make sure you check out leadership in action assignment to that whole dashboard of resources available through for you through Gallup um, starts that process. And then we'll be doing some reflective activity. Um, it's quite interesting to see the strengths that we have and to read a bit on the Gallup site, but it would be nice to understand how to use those strengths in helping us further succeed. Absolutely. That's what we're, we're, we're going through that work through the activities. Remember, there is a powerful element into reflection. You know, I, I understand the idea to want to practice it, but until you understand what it is, how you want to use it, why you want to use it, um, where you want to use it, when you want to use it, just going out there and, and applying it can have some benefits to it. But the more strategic and intentional that you are about that, the better the development will be. And to get there, we need to do the work of the reflection and build that awareness and, and whatnot. So that's what we're going to do in leadership uh, in action assignment number two. And there will be some specific here. I, I'm going to do these strategies as part of that activity. So I, I just encourage you again to, um, to reach out to me, um, ask me questions, you know, um, and to, uh, ahead of time, because I'm taking you on a journey and it may not, you may not feel like it's going at the speed that you want it to go at, but I, I, ask that you just trust me that I'm intentional about the direction I'm taking in. So next question is, um, it says, be a person of impact, 12 strategies to be the CEO of your future. Will we be looking at the topic of impacting others more in depth? Yes, we are going to do that. Um, we need to go a little bit on the journey. And, and again, I'm going to pump the brakes on you a little bit here. By no means do you need to slow down and, um, and and not pursue something that you want to learn more about that's that's not the not the case you again you are all on an individualized journey of leadership development here all coming to me with different experiences um different levels of understanding uh just different human beings and so if there's something that catches on like this one um for you then by all means go go on and continue to pursue it what i'm going to be doing is thinking about a holistic perspective of um, leadership development and giving you all uh, the volume of content and opportunities to to build some of the core areas. So um, to that specific one, the 12 strategies that, that Dr. Freiberg uh, talks about, um, I don't think we're going to have something specific on that, um, but you're going to get a ton of other um, elements on how you can impact others. I mean, I think just even the, um, the strengths work is impacting others. I think the um, Brene Brown work is impacting others. I think the um, emotional intelligence work and the habit work that we're going to be diving into in this latest module and, and some of the other productivity and decision making and all that good stuff will, are ways to impact others. Generally, next question is generally we got how I, how to identify and we were challenged to think about how to use our strengths. But I want to know what are some activities that we can do to help us better at what we are learning, the practical side of execution? Again, you know, I think this group of questions is just people are hungry for it. And I love that. Um, 
And I'm going to say, be patient. Uh, be patient with this. We are getting everybody on board. Uh, I think the the e-learning approach is it can be challenging to that. Um, I love the the motivation and the excitement. And I just say, um, let's let's use this piece of feedback. Is that uh, we're going to get that opportunity, and the executions are going to come from your own experience. It's going to come from you driving where you want to execute on this, how you want to execute on this. So this next assignment, I think, is a great opportunity. And what I'll say to that is that's your challenge. You know, you can mail these things in. And what I mean by mail them in is like, you know, they're do the paperwork and and put put some thought into it and, and do it. Or you can really take it seriously. And you can see that if you put in the time, effort, energy, uh, and have the motivation that if you do this work, it's going to get you some results and um, and make that meaningful for you. Make that be the things that you really need or want or um, or or really are passionate about working on. And let's let's focus on those. Your you know your interest and your curiosity is what drives your development. So let's uh, let's focus on that in terms of what we want to execute on and define that. All right, the next one. I believe that my signature strengths were very accurate to my life as a student and employee, but gave no insight to how I am socially. I know that I am an introvert, but I have prided myself on my ability to have strong communication. Being kind and having great customer service has also been a strength in my life. I feel that I have a set of strengths for one area of my life and a different set for the other areas of my life. My question is for a person like myself who has very rigid and disciplined strength, how do you build strength in areas? How do you build strength in areas you feel are the weakest if it's really not you to have those strengths? Okay, so let's let this is a great question. And let's break down a, a few of these. So first of all, introversion and extroversion, there's actually most people are what we call an ambivert. And an ambivert is you you can flex up and be extroverted, you can flex down, and you can be introverted. Um, introversion is really about not being quiet and whatnot. It's about how you process information. Um, do you kind of take it all in and think about it first, or do you, um, process it out loud and, and kind of do it more in a real time piece. The other thing is about energy flow and does being around and being social energize you or does it, um, kind of not deflate you, but is it, does it take a lot of energy for you to be that versus being in maybe a smaller group or a one-on-one or a, um, or, or even, uh, kind of more, uh, reserve. So I think it just comes out a lot differently for a lot of folks and, um, and who you feel comfortable with socially. Now, the irony here on the customer service side is that a lot of people think that extroverts are the ones that are, you know, so service oriented. And that can be true, but it's not necessarily a personality dimension because one of the strengths of an introvert uh, from a personality dimension is the ability to listen and take in information, process it, and then give a really good answer, which is in its highest form, a, a form of, of great customer service. So we also want to think about um, the strengths and and Gallup, you know, Gallup's strengths aren't a personality assessment. It's It's talent things that you do innately well, which may have some personality elements weaved into it, but it's it can also be developed because we learn from building knowledge and skills and practice that we um, enhance that talent. Now, that's where we get the idea of strength. All right, so we um, what we want to be able to do there is take a look at... Um, why, why do we say that is very rigid and disciplined in our strength? What we might want to think about is, is that strength, the way it's being, being deployed in that area, is it, not, is it not being utilized in a way that would be uh, as beneficial as it could be? Um, is it a context where your strength, you know, maybe isn't the optimal strength for that? Um, for example, I'll give a personal example, is one of my top strengths is strategy. So for me, I can just kind of see the the playing field and figure out how to move us down the field and it just comes really naturally to me and by getting reps and learning more about strategy and, and whatnot you know i i get better at that but you know doing some of the small detail things like clicking the right button on canvas to make sure everything goes right or um you know just 
the small fine details, I struggle with that stuff. Now, can I get rid of that out of my out of my daily routines and my job and the work that I really love to do? Because another one of my strengths is positivity and woo and belief and responsibility, which are the things that I can all I can leverage all those strengths in my role of coaching and teaching and and facilitating and helping you all get better. Um, but if I can't just leave it on the table and say, oh, well, because I'm I'm not good at attention to detail or that's not one of my strengths. I just, I, I better not do, you know, the, my vocation, the thing that I love doing and, and serving others. Um, no, it's about putting the process in the system and working hard to do that. But it takes me a lot of energy to, um, and I still don't get it right all the time, um, to do the small things, the small details, but I know they're important. So rather than trying to get them to be my strength, what I try to do is put in the systems and the processes to help me so that they don't limit my ability to be successful. And, um, and then it's also about putting people around me, not to do the work for me, but to help me get better or that's their strength. And on a team and in, in a team, um, you know, project or whatnot, they, we can leverage their strengths to handle some of those. And, and then hopefully my strengths can be leveraged in a different way. So I'd like you to start thinking about it from that way. Don't try to turn a weakness into a strength. In some contests, think, think about are your strengths in this, in this being used in this way, are they actually kind of the dark side of the strength or the weakness? And then on the other side of it is figuring out what are the things that you need to be good enough at. And instead of trying to turn them into a strength, which is a big, big gap, try to figure out what are some ways to be good enough so that they don't inhibit your strength. So think about it that way. All right. All right. And our last topic, I'm just going to call this one leadership. And it's uh, a variety of questions that, that range, but I think they all kind of find themselves in this domain. So our first question is the idea that leadership is biological from Leaders Eat Last is new to me. Is it true? Does this mean I can't be a leader if I wasn't born to be? Is there something inherently wrong with being a follower rather than a leader? So um, I think there might be a little bit of a disconnect there in terms of the biological component to it, which means that there, there kind of is, what we mean by that isn't that there's a born leader or someone being born to lead, even though there was used to be a theory of that. Uh, I think that's been kind of debunked. I think that we do find some things in um, the psychology and the research that show who emerges as a leader. So extroversion does uh, predict who emerges as a leader, but it doesn't uh, necessarily, it doesn't um, correlate with effectiveness of a leader. In fact, the only personality dynamic uh, dimension that does is um, conscientiousness and uh, to a degree openness uh, are, are effective um, measures of that from, but that's, that's a very limited amount. So there's a lot there to be left. So but from a biological nature, there is a, um, we do want to be led. So stepping into that leadership role is the void that we're trying to fill. So that is not, um, so does that mean that you can't be a leader if you weren't born to me? Absolutely not. Everybody was born to lead in, in some shape or fashion. It's just figuring out what does that, what does that word leadership mean to you? And what does that look like? So um, I like the Center for Creative Leadership and they talk about leadership it could be as simple as leadership of self. How well are you taking care of yourself and leading yourself? Um, leadership of others, you know, that could be uh, leadership of peers, um, leadership of other leaders. That could be a management position of other managers and other leaders. It could be a leadership of function, a process or system. So you could be leading a project or you could be leading uh, an accounting system or a human resources system. So it doesn't necessarily mean... Um, leader of of just the traditional model so i would i would encourage you to stay open to uh, a dynamic um concept of construct of what leadership is uh is there anything wrong inherently wrong with being a follower rather than a leader um uh, no there isn't anything inherently wrong with that at the same time if you recall the adam grant uh problem with all stars uh podcast is that when everybody has the opportunity to lead in their own way, and again, this kind of comes back to playing to strengths and knowing their role on the team, like the Shane Battiers of the world, you can get really great results. So um, don't diminish the value of following. 
and don't underplay that a follower in some contexts, you as the leader may want them to lead and you be the follower. So rather than having it be a traditional model of top down authority and whatnot, it's remind, being reminded of shared leadership, not the single leader model. Next question is sometimes bosses aren't being nice and fair to all their employees. My question is what is there to do for the employee and how to change the way the boss is treating you? Is it the character of the boss that doesn't let them see any employee from a different perspective? Or there is something an employee is lacking that the boss wants them to have? Um, yes, and, and both. Either It's not a, it's not a binary um, element of yes or no, um, either or. It's typically an and both. So as we're getting into the emotional intelligence work, it could be that the boss needs to uh, develop um, some key areas around uh, emo uh, emotional intelligence of social awareness, um, self-management, um, self-awareness, relationship management, empathy to understand the impact. Now, in in to credit of the boss or the person in the authority perspective or in the authority role is are they getting the feedback? So are you as the employee sharing with them um, what the impact is on you? So sometimes there can be really good intent especially, you know, when you're at a different perspective on the mountaintop, um, looking at things. But if you're, if you don't have that full perspective and you don't have the self-awareness or the social awareness to go get that, then you're really, um, you really need someone to be able to share that with you. And so the employee perspective is really powerful and important, just like the student perspective. You know, I mean, that's why I always encourage students to come talk to me and share with me their perspective and their experience because I'm coming at it from a different perspective and experience. And, um, and I need that level of awareness to help me guide us through and lead us through the journey together. When that goes to other people, and then I hear it secondhand, or I don't get it at all, it limits my ability to have impact, or for me to understand what's the impact that it's having on the person. And that may oftentimes isn't the intent. So um, it's, it's about conversations, it's about that vulnerability, it's about that trust. Um, and it's about leading from those elements. So what I would encourage you to do is start to have the conversations. And if it's not, if you're not at a place where you can engage in a healthy debate or provide that, start to build the trust. And from a leadership perspective, if you're, you're not in a position where you feel like you can give the feedback, start to ask the questions, you know, start to ask some questions and get curious and um, and understand where, where their perspective is coming from. And oftentimes that will build trust, which is a component of confidence, competence, capability. And, um, and we want to make sure that, uh, we build that and that could help you drive the conversation, even if you're not in a position of power. Okay. The next one is, I guess my biggest question following these first few modules was how and what habits should I get? should I be getting into that will make me more productive and lead uh, to me being more successful as an individual? Well, I think first of all, it's about um, understanding what are the habits that are helping you and have helped you in the past be successful and what are habits, meaning the, the behaviors, the rituals, the routines that you, that you exhibit that are limiting or, or impeding your success. So we've got to start from a, a position of reflection. The other part of that is what does success look like to you and why is it important? Okay. Those two things are really powerful elements to analyze because once we understand what's your why and figuring out what does success mean and look like for you, because that can vary greatly from individual to individual, then we can focus in on what are the habits, again, the behaviors, the routines, the rituals. Um, that we need to cultivate, what are some that we might need to revise or look at um, that will help us in that journey. So this is really the component of building emotional intelligence and building the self-awareness component and, um, and understanding ourselves and being more aware and mindful of this. And then from there, it's about um, really the self-management components of of how do we go about um, engaging in our behaviors, our reactions, our responses, our you know 
what motivating what's motivating us what's driving us so that we can make those changes so i can't give you a list for you as an individual at this point but i can help you in the journey of you um working through that figuring this out where you want to go and then us working together to um, drive those my question is how can i positively and effectively approach the management team and possibly corporate at my work about the topics we discuss that hopefully inspire them to implement the material into the business. Yes, I've been very open and honest with them, but I don't think they necessarily have the right tools to learn and grow effectively. I want to be able to provide them with some of the tools at to start, at least start. Okay. Um, this is tough because, you know, now you're trying to come from a position of, um, where you, where you don't necessarily have the decision the decision authority or maybe the resources and by resources I mean the capital to implement you know whole organizational changes so I think coming at it from a position of hey I'm taking this leadership course here are the things that I'm learning sharing my podcast playlist with them um, is a great way to expose them to the content um, scheduling time via a lunch or a coffee to talk about your gems, light bulbs, and burning questions. And in, in relation to the business and how it impacts the business and how it could help the business. The other thing is start small. Um, start with the theory of small wins, meaning, you know, do a little skunk works or a pilot program where you're working with a handful of people that you are, you believe would benefit from this and, and would be open to trying this, um, whatever the tactic or the, the strategy is. And see what type of results you get and then take the results to management. Ultimately, it's going to be the, the leadership and the management and the culture of the organization that's going to have to decide, you know, is this meaningful enough to do something with it? And that might, you know, you, you might have to get to a point where you understand that um, you can make an impact. You can kind of accept, uh, you know, and, and move that forward. You can accept that they're not going to make the impact. And then in some cases, it's about exiting, knowing that, um, you know, I, I want better, I deserve better, I need better, and I'm going to go find a different opportunity somewhere. And that's the company's loss because it's clear that even though you're not in a technical leadership role higher up in the organization, you want to make higher level impact. And those are the type of employees that you want on your team. So I love the initiative. I love the, the desire. So those are a few things that I think could help in that process. Um, all right. The next one is, um, <clears throat> my, uh, let's see what, what are some ways, what are some ways that I could be more intentional with gaining understanding of what my leadership is doing and how, I, how can I, as a team member support my leadership when they are building culture? Um, I love, I love some of the, the things that Brene Brown has on her dare to lead website. I think um, the the intentionality is, I mean, you've, you've said it in the opening statements, is like you want to be more intentional. You are making that a priority for you to be intentional. And, and um, I think it starts with asking questions and listening and gathering the feedback and the information uh, on what are the, what's the impact that you're making on people and how might we leverage that to support other leaders. So I think um, letting them know how important culture is in the process, you know, sharing what type of culture you want to see, sharing with them the content of, of what you're learning. Um, I would, Brene has a, a number of great resources at Dare to Lead, uh, her HubSpot there. So I think there's a variety of exercises and activities that could help, help you in that process as well. Um, and then starting, you know, the one thing, no matter what you can always work on is yourself as a leader. And so continue to engage in this course and, and all the, all the great work that we're, we're going to continue to do together. All right. Um, my burning question is how I manage, uh, to be a likable manager that employees are willing to go out of their way without being stepped on by them. In my workplace, I always try to give my employees what they want as it makes them more likely to do what I need them to do. For instance, I, um, I'll let somebody have an extra day off. They requested it, even though it screws me over in the hopes that they'll be willing to come in on a day off and I need them. Most of the time it works. However, sometimes I feel like kind of a pushover because 
I give my employees what they want too much and it ends up negatively affecting me. How do I balance these? All right, so Adam Grant has um, some really great content. His one of his first, actually, I think it was his first book, Give and Take, talks about our reciprocity style, meaning um, that if we do something, what's that? What's the outcome or the response by someone else? And there are givers, there are takers, and there are matchers. And the most successful people in the world are givers, and the least successful people in the world are givers. And uh, takers and matchers fall somewhere in between. So what? you might be experiencing right now is um, what we call the doormat effect, meaning that you're giving, but what you're actually, or you might be a little bit of a matcher because what you're expecting is you give the day off and somebody matches that later. So that, what you're, what you're missing there is you're not setting the expectation. So um, there's a great article by a former talent uh, leader over at General Electric, GE, um, Kerr, and he's, he did some research and some studies, and what they found was that we oftentimes reward A but expect B. So the first thing you need to do is, is clarify your expectations. And I think one of the things that may be at play here is that you don't want to be seen as doing this as, you know, kind of a, um, a this for that. And But in reality, you are kind of doing that. And that's okay too, because we just need to be clear, have clarity in that. So one of the ways that Adam Grant will tell, talk about, and I'll sign this one as either a blink or a podcast um, later in the quarter, is that for givers, the doormat effect, meaning that you're like the doormat, people step all over you, is to treat takers like matchers. So yes, I will do this for you. And I'm going to need you to, uh, you know, help us out later in in the year or or when when this comes along. Are you cool with that? That's the type of of way that you. That's how you're going to have to come back to balance it because if you keep giving and giving and giving, one of it is figuring out why are you giving so much. So I would also encourage you to look in the work uh, work life podcast from Adam Grant on the episode on people pleasing with Esther Pohl, I believe it is. Really great insights into there. Um, and, um, and I would be afraid of you burning out and then you give so much that you don't execute on your job. And then that's the stuff that, um, causes, uh, individuals to not be successful that are reciprocity style as, as a giver. So just be thinking about those things. All right. Based on the content, I want to know in the future, when things go back to normal, what, what, what the best way is going to be to ease back into normal life. Right now, everyone has so much anxiety and stress over the changes, but at the same time, we are also getting used to being in isolation that I think may be hard to get used to needing to uh, use real people skills again in the future. I know I have a hard time meeting new people. I am a shy person. The isolation of COVID has been uh, relaxing to me, but I feel like I've been in my comfort bubble for so long that I will have a hard time getting back to normal. I think you're, you're, you're hitting on some, some wonderful stuff. One is I think that we need to move away from the idea that, um, that normal is something that we go back to. I think that, you know, if you think about when nine 11 happened, um, we, we have just learned to accept that we, you know, take off our shoes and, and go through these weird metal detectors and body scans as part of the routine. It changed everything. And things are going to change and that's going to be the new reality. So how do we adjust our heuristic and our mental model and get comfortable with uncertainty in, um, in uncertain times? And that is going to be continue to be part of the resilience thing. And it's going to be about the, how might we, how might we, um, engage with each other? And we're trying, we're trying through these zooms and, and whatnot and, and different mediums and, and everything. But some of these technologies were not designed for these things. And so we're trying to fit um, square pegs and round holes and we're doing the best we can, but we also need to like move away from how we thought things were supposed to be and, and figure out what we need to be doing. As an example, you know, when people started to talk about this horseless carriage, AKA the car, everybody's mental model and heuristic was, no, we just, we, we ride horses. We have covered wagons. We do this. But that doesn't mean that it hasn't totally changed society. Now, there's a lot of downsides in, in some of these elements. And so I think it's figuring out what are the skills and the things that we want to hold on to and, and work towards. And, um, you know, in terms of the real people skills, the interpersonal dynamics, I think part of it is just being super intentional. I, the isolation has been killing me. But I can tell you, like, um, 
doing like the the zoom sessions and the hybrids and the one-on-ones with students and and whatnot like i can't do zooms all day because it just it totally gasses me out but phone calls and video calls and like just interacting with people is a way that you can still flex those muscles it's not the optimal format but it's a way to like not lose a little bit have some of that atrophy but one thing i'd be really proud of you for is just the self-awareness of acknowledging that and so i think incorporating that into some of the development work we're doing is going to be really key because i think there are going to be certain elements that stay with us i think remote work is going to become more of the norm um i think that i don't think it's going to be all or nothing i think it's like microsoft is doing some sort of hybrid and i think other organizations are going to kind of figure that out as we move from a knowledge economy you know really accepting not moving but we are accepting a knowledge economy versus a um an industrial economy so I think it's some of those things, but I think we just need to get to this point where it's like, there's going to be, I don't, I hate even calling it a new world. There's a new reality and we're going to, we're going to work within those, those, that framework to figure this out. Um, and then the last one is from the LinkedIn learning, um, talking about vision to values to culture. And, um, the CEO of LinkedIn said, uh, it's not just the what, but the how, what does that mean? Um, he explained in the, in the video, but I still don't get it. And I, I think what's missing here is, is Simon Sinek's, the why. So the why has that emotional appeal to it. And I just heard a, a podcast from Brene Brown about burnout and was talking about the why is, is we have an emotional side to our brain and the uh, rational side to the, our brain. And we used to think that the rational, the rationale drove the emotion, but some of this research is showing that um, the emotion drives us in, in in a lot of our rationale and um and so i would be thinking about that the why why are we doing this once we can ignite that emotion in us then how we go about doing that that's what forms the culture and then the vi vision and the values the why we are important that's the what that's what we're focused on so the why is like the just cause and the the really important stuff and then the vision and values um kind of component to it drives the culture. So if you just have a bunch of words on the wall about what our vision is and what we value, but you act a different way, that culture is the key part of it. That, that, that how is the, and what we do is the, um, the elements that say, are we living up to that vision and to those values? Are we pursuing that, you know, in the right way? And so having that why, and so I would, I would incorporate Simon Sinek's works, um, in terms of the start with why and the infinite game to compound that with uh, what the CEO from LinkedIn was saying. So hopefully that helps. Um, I hope you enjoy this profcast. It's kind of a way rather than doing some um, you know, formal lecture or presentation, which to be honest with you, the analytics show that folks don't watch these a lot, but these are not the, the like formal lectures or presentations, but since these are your questions and you wanna get them answered, um, I'm hopeful that this kind of podcast and profcast will be value added. And so we'll, I'll continue to do these. Um, a reminder, you can always hook up with me on uh, my Zoom, my weekly Zoom sessions on Thursdays at lunch from 12 to 1. That's uh, the best way um, with the constraints of what the college has given us uh, for online classes that I can do a group office hour and whatnot. But, and you can always schedule up a one-on-one -on -one with me as well. Um, and I look forward to your next round. Thank you so much. Have a great one.